MSW Media. Thank you to Hunter Douglas for supporting the Daily Beans. Hunter Douglas makes innovative window shades, gorgeous fabrics, and control systems that can be scheduled to automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day and bring greater convenience, style, and comfort to your home. Go to hunterdouglas.com slash dailybeans today to get your free Style Get Smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, March 24th, 2022. Today, the New York Times has obtained Mark Pomerantz's letter of resignation from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Manafort is taken off a Miami flight to Dubai because of a revoked passport. The governor of Utah has vetoed an anti-trans bill. Mark Meadows' wife also appears to have committed voter fraud. Donald throws Mo Brooks under the bus. A top Kremlin envoy has quit his post and left Russia over the Ukrainian invasion. The U.S. officially has declared Russia has committed war crimes. Justice Clarence Thomas remains in the hospital, and SCOTUS won't comment on his condition. The Supreme Court rejected a Republican request to upend a Dem-favored congressional map while also blocking a map preferred by Democrats. A judge reprimanded Alex Jones for faking being sick to get out of a deposition. Former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright has died at 84, and a Texas appeals court temporarily upholds an injunction barring the state from investigating parents of trans children. I'm your host, Allison Gill. Langston Hughes wrote, oh, let America be America again. The land that never has been yet, but yet must be the land where everyone is free. Oh, yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me, but I swear this oath, America will be. That is the story of how you got to this desk. You and I and everyone here, generations of folk who came here and said, America, I'm Irish. You may say, no, Irish or dogs need to apply, but I'm going to show this country that I can be free here. I can make this country love me as much as I love it. Chinese Americans first forced into mere slave labor, building our railroads, connecting our country saw the ugliest of America, but they were going to build their home here and say, America, you may not love me yet, but I'm going to make this nation live up to its promise and hope. LGBTQ Americans from Stonewall, women to Seneca, hidden figures who didn't even get their play until some Hollywood movie finally talked about them and how they were critical for us defying gravity. All of these people loved America. And so you faced insults here that were shocking to me. Well, actually not shocking. But you are here because of that kind of love. And nobody's taken this away from me. So you got five more folk to go through. (laughs) Five more of us. And then you can sit back and let us have all the debates. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a well-charted Senate floor because it's not going to stop. They're going to accuse you of this and that. Heck, in honor of your person who shares your birthday, you might be called a communist. But don't worry, my sister. Don't worry. God has got you. And how do I know that? Because you're here. And I know what it's taken for you to sit in that seat. Senator Cory Booker, just moments ago, During the confirmation hearings for Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson, in my opinion, the only clip we need to hear today, after the utter disrespect and disgraceful just commentary afforded her by fascist Republicans in the Senate, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, um, and Lindsey Graham just absolutely disgraced themselves and the Senate today with what they thought or what they decided were questions for the Supreme Court nominee. Um, That by far, by the way, the intro, that is by far, that is our new record breaker for the number of headlines today, just an astounding news day. Um, We're going to go over all the headlines with you. Uh, And um, later in the show, I'm going to be talking with Santiago Meyer. He's the executive director and founder of Voters of Tomorrow, 
We're going to talk about getting the youth vote out in the midterms. But right now, we have so much to get to, we should just jump in and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. First up, breaking news. Just a few moments ago, the New York Times released, obtained and released former U.S. attorney Mark Pomerantz's resignation letter that he wrote to Alvin Bragg when he left the Manhattan DA's office. Let me read it to you. This is from the Times. It says the following is the full text of the resignation letter by Mark Pomerantz, who had investigated former President Donald J. Trump, but left after the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg halted an effort to seek an indictment. It says, Dear Alvin, I write to tender my resignation as Special Assistant District Attorney and explain my reasons for resigning. As you know from our recent conversations and presentations, I believe Donald Trump is guilty of numerous felony violations of the penal law in connection with preparation and use of his annual statements of financial condition. His financial statements were false, and he has a long history of fabricating information relating to his personal finances and lying about his assets to banks, the national media, counterparties, and many others, including the American people. The team that has been investigating Mr. Trump harbors no doubt about whether he committed crimes. He did. In late 2021, the district attorney, Cyrus Vance, directed a thorough review of the facts and law relating to Mr. Trump's financial statements. Mr. Vance had been intimately involved in our investigation, attending grand jury presentations, sitting in on certain witness interviews, and receiving regular reports about the progress of the investigation. He concluded that the facts warranted prosecution, and he directed the team to present evidence to a grand jury and to seek an indictment of Mr. Trump and other defendants, other defendants, as soon as reasonably possible. The work was underway when you took office as district attorney. You have devoted a significant time and energy to understanding the evidence as we've accumulated with respect to the Trump financial statements, as well as the applicable law. You have reached the decision not to go forward with the grand jury presentation and not to seek criminal charges at the present time. The investigation has been suspended indefinitely. Of course, that is your decision to make. I do not question your authority to make it, and I accept that you have made it sincerely. However, a decision made in good faith may nevertheless be wrong. I believe that your decision not to prosecute Donald Trump now and on the existing record is misguided and completely contrary to the public interest. I therefore cannot continue in my current position. In my view, the public interest warrants the criminal prosecution of Mr. Trump, and such a prosecution should be brought without further delay. Because of the complexity of the facts, the refusal of Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization to cooperate with our investigation, and their affirmative steps to frustrate our ability to follow the facts— this investigation has already consumed a great deal of time. As to Mr. Trump, the great bulk of the evidence relates to his management of the Trump Organization before he became President of the United States. The facts are already dated, and our ability to establish what happened may erode with further passage of time. Many of the salient facts have been made public in proceedings brought by the Office of the Attorney General, and the public has rightly inquired about the pace of our investigation. Most importantly, the further passage of time will raise additional questions about the failure to hold Mr. Trump accountable for his criminal conduct. To the extent you have raised issues as to the legal and factual sufficiency of our case and the likelihood that a prosecution would succeed, I and others have advised you that we have evidence sufficient to establish Mr. Trump's guilt beyond a reasonable doubt, and we believe that the prosecution would prevail if charges were brought and the matter were tried to an impartial jury. No case is perfect. Whatever the risk of bringing this case may be, I'm convinced that a failure to prosecute will pose much greater risk in terms of public confidence in the fair administration of justice. As I have suggested to you, respect for the rule of law and the need to reinforce the bedrock proposition that no man is above the law require that this prosecution be brought, even if a conviction is not certain. I also do not believe that suspending the investigation pending future developments will lead to a stronger case or dispel your reluctance to bring charges. No events are likely to occur that would alter the nature of the case or dramatically change the quality or quantity of the evidence available to the prosecution. There are always additional facts to be pursued, but the investigative team ha that has been working on this matter for many months does not believe that it makes law enforcement sense to postpone prosecution in the hope that additional evidence will somehow emerge. On the contrary, I and others believe that your decision not to authorize prosecution now will doom any future prospects that Mr. Trump will be prosecuted for the criminal conduct we've been investigating. I fear that your decision means that Mr. Trump will not be held fully accountable for his crimes. I have worked too hard as a lawyer and for too long now to become a passive participant in what I believe to be a grave failure of justice. I therefore resign my position as Special Assistant District Attorney, effective immediately. Sincerely. Mark Pomeranz.
There's a lot in there, and I'm going to go into it in detail on cleanup on aisle 45 next week, as I'm sure you can imagine. Also in the news today, former Donald Trump advisor Paul Manafort was stopped by U.S. Customs at Miami International Airport on Sunday and prevented from boarding a flight bound for Dubai in the UAE. That's according to a spokesman for the Miami-Dade Police Department. Manafort, Trump's campaign chairman in 2016, was denied the ability to travel by U.S. Customs and Border Protection. That's according to Detective Alvaro Zabaleta. That's the police spokesman. Quote, his passport was revoked and he could not take his flight. No further incident. Manafort intended to fly on Emirati's flight uh, 214I. The incident happened around 9 p.m. Eastern on Sunday. Customs and Border Patrol spokesperson Chris Grogan declined to comment. CNN has reached out to the State Department and Manafort's attorney for comment, but nothing yet. The Justice Department said in a 2017 court filing Manafort had submitted 10 passport applications over the last decade and that he had three active U.S. passports, each with different identification numbers. This was indicative of his travel schedule, prosecutors said. It's interesting he was going to Dubai because that's where many Russian oligarchs are currently fleeing. And a lot of yachts are headed there as well. In other news, Governor Spencer Cox of Utah vetoed a bill on Tuesday that would have barred young transgender athletes from participating in girls' sports, becoming the second Republican governor in two days to reject such legislation. Republican legislators, however, plan to override the veto on Friday. State Senator Jay Stewart Adams, a Republican, said in a statement, we're going to override your veto. Eleven other states have enacted similar laws in recent years as sports participation by transgender girls and women becomes an increasingly divisive topic among political leaders and athletic organizations. Mr. Cox, a first-term governor up for re-election in 2024, said in a statement that while politically it would be much easier and better for me to simply sign the bill, he chose to veto it because he, quote, tried to do what I feel is right, and the right thing, I wanted to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. And on October 26th, uh, Mark Meadows' wife, Deborah, Deborah Meadows, appeared at the Macon County Community Building in Franklin, North Carolina, and filled out a one-stop voter application to cast an early ballot in the 2020 presidential election. She also dropped off an absentee ballot that she had requested for her husband, then White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. That's according to an election board official. Uh, on her one-stop application, application provided this week by the North Carolina Board of Elections to the fact-checker, Deborah Meadows certified that she had resided at a 14-by-62-foot mountaintop mobile home for at least 30 days, even though she did not. At the top of the form is a notice that says fraudulently or falsely completing this form is a Class 1 felony. Or maybe it's Class I. I can't tell by the font. Sorry about that. This form is the latest in a string of revelations concerning the former chief of staff who echoed Trump's false claims of election fraud in 2020 and his wife. The New Yorker first reported Mark and Deborah Meadows submitted voter registration forms that listed their home as that mobile home with a rusted metal roof that sold for about $100,000 in 2021, even though they'd never lived there. North Carolina officials announced last week Mark Meadows is under investigation for voter fraud. The fact checkers reporting shows that in 2020, Deborah Meadows signed at least two forms, voter registration form and the one-stop application that warned of legal consequences. Deborah Meadows is also listed as submitting an absentee ballot request for her husband. The signature on the form is redacted, but Patrick Gannon, a spokesperson for the North Carolina State Board of Elections, said Wednesday that signature says Mark Meadows, even though the section of the form saying it was a request from Deborah Meadows was also filled out. He said it was unclear why that was done. The statement by North, the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation made no mention of Deborah Meadows, and officials declined to say whether the probe would also investigate her. Quote, we're early on into the investigation. That's Anjanette Grube, the SBI's public information director. She goes on to say, as the investigation continues, information will be shared with the prosecutor who will make a determination as to whether any additional persons could be subject to the investigation. And Mo Brooks whose Trump endorsement was revoked this morning, said in a text message that the former president raised efforts to overturn the 2020 election with him after Labor Day in 2021, at least the best he can recall. That matters, because if the timing and substance of Brooks's claims are accurate, it suggests Trump has not just lodged false complaints about his loss to President Joe Biden, but has actively sought to solicit help to overturn them deep into the Biden presidency, eight months in. Brooks did not indicate whether he would be willing to share his recollections of, the, of his interaction with Trump with the January 6th committee, 
but noted the panel has never had any interaction with him. The select panel has recently indicated it has evidence that could support criminal charges against Donald for conspiring to obstruct Congress's certification of the election. The panel said Trump and top allies like John Eastman used pressure tactics to get Vice President Pence to violate the Electoral Count Act in order to block Biden from ascending. If Brooks' recollection of his conversation with Trump is accurate, it dovetails with the select panel's view that the former president asked his allies to cast aside the law and constitution in service of his bid to remain in or return to power. In response to Trump's snub, Brooks issued a scathing statement, and here it is. Quote, President Trump asked me to rescind the 2020 elections, immediately remove Joe Biden from the White House, immediately put President Trump back in the White House, and hold a new special election for the presidency. As a lawyer, I've repeatedly advised President Trump that January 6th was the final election contest verdict, and neither the U.S. Constitution nor the U.S. Code permit what President Trump asks, period. Uh, I was shocked to find out today, Mo Brooks is a lawyer. He goes on to say, I've told President Trump the truth, knowing full well that it might cause President Trump to rescind his endorsement. And in other news, the Supreme Court declined to say Wednesday whether 73-year-old Justice Clarence Thomas remains in the hospital, though he had been expected to be released Tuesday evening. The court said Sunday that Thomas had been admitted to Sibley Memorial Hospital in D.C. on Friday after experiencing flu-like symptoms and was diagnosed with an infection. His, quote, symptoms are abating, unquote, and he was expected to be released Monday or Tuesday. And the court said in a statement that, that that's what the court said in a statement at the time. But on Wednesday morning, court spokeswoman Patricia McCabe says she has no update to provide. The court heard arguments Wednesday morning, and Chief Justice John Roberts said as far as for the past two days that while Thomas was not present, he would participate in the case by reviewing the arguments, transcripts, and briefs. Roberts said Thomas was unable to be present today without any explanation. And speaking of missing court, far-right conspiracy theorist Alex Jones has breached a court order by failing to show up for a deposition in a lawsuit over false claims about the Sandy Hook massacre after a judge rebuffed claims that he was too sick to appear. The InfoWars host was scheduled to appear in person 9 a.m. local time in Austin, Texas on Wednesday today to be questioned under oath as part of settlement proceedings in a defamation case that he lost against the families of victims killed in the 2012 mass shooting. But Mr. Jones was a no-show, instead sending along one of his attorneys, Norm Pattis, who delivered the news that his client would not be making an appearance today. Connecticut Superior Court Judge Barbara Bellis has now ordered Mr. Jones to appear for the deposition on Thursday, saying that he has not submitted additional evidence for the court to evaluate on the issue of his alleged medical conditions. The victim's families have also filed an emergency motion asking the court to arrest him for civil contempt and bring him uh, to the court to testify if he fails to show up again. The defiance of the court order comes after Jones made a last-ditch attempt to delay the questioning this week, claiming he was too sick to leave his home to attend, despite leaving his home to broadcast his live show for hours. Kevin Smith, an attorney for InfoWars and the InfoWars host, filed a motion on Monday, including a seven-sentence letter from an unnamed physician who cited unnamed medical conditions that Mr. Jones is remaining at home. In the court hearing on Tuesday, Bellis turned down the claim and ordered that the deposition go ahead as planned. The judge suggested Mr. Jones' legal team unknowingly misled the court with its attempts to postpone it over his mystery illness, pointing out that, at the very same time his attorney was arguing he was sick and being seen by a doctor in the hearing, Mr. Jones was actually hosting his Infowars show, not at home, in his studio. She questioned whether the show was being broadcast from the studio or from home. And Judge Bellis also raised doubts about the authenticity of the physician's letter, saying she has no idea if it's genuine or if the doctor is even currently licensed. Quote, it appears the court, uh, to the court unreasonable to suggest that Jones can broadcast live for hours, whether it's from home remotely or from a studio, but can't sit for a deposition, she told the court in her ruling. And on Wednesday, Mr. Jones's attorney admitted to the court that the radio host was broadcasting his show live during Tuesday's court hearing. Uh, he said that the show was broadcasting from Mr. Jones' studio in Austin, which is not located in Mr. Jones's home, casting doubts on the doctor's letter that he was staying at home at all. And in SCOTUS news, the Supreme Court rejected on Wednesday a GOP request that it upend a congressional map adopted by the Wisconsin Supreme Court that was preferred by Democrats. The justices gave no explanation for their decision not to intervene in that matter, 
that redistricting plan had a Republican lean, but was still favored by Democrats because of the potential that it could give them, because it afforded them at least one additional seat in the U.S. House. The Supreme Court, however, also on Wednesday issued an order in a separate Wisconsin redistricting case that blocked a state legislative map adopted by the Wisconsin Supreme Court that was backed by Democrats. Huh. Hmm. The Supreme Court said in adopting the map, the Wisconsin Supreme Court had committed a legal error in its application of decisions of this court regarding the relationship between the constitutional guarantee of equal protection and the Voting Rights Act. Justice Sonia Sotomayor, in a dissent joined by Kagan, called the move in the state legislative map unprecedented. She says, this court intervention today is not only extraordinary, but also unnecessary. The congressional map had been proposed by Democratic Governor Tony Evers to the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which adopted it in a 4-3 ruling after Evers and the legislature failed to come to an agreement on a new congressional plan. The Supreme Court was asked by Republican members of the U.S. House to toss that map. The Republicans accused Wisconsin State Supreme Court of violating the Constitution by allegedly changing midway through the litigation the standards the court would use to assess the maps proposed in the litigation. In its appeal to the Supreme Court regarding the state legislative map, the GOP legislature argued the map adopted by the state Supreme Court was unconstitutional and it had racial gerrymandering in it. The map had been put forward by Evers, who asked the Supreme Court to leave the map the Wisconsin justices had chosen in place. Republican lawmakers in their appeal pointed specifically to how the governor's redistricting plan was racist because it increased the number of majority black state assembly districts from six to seven. The Republicans accused the Wisconsin Supreme Court of maximizing the number of majority black districts, (laughs) going beyond what was required by the Voting Rights Act and running afoul of the limits of the Constitution. They say you can't use race under U.S. Supreme Court redistricting precedents. So they called it racist against white people. Uh, also on Wednesday, the U.S. Supreme Court said in an unsigned order, its precedents for when race could be considered and redistricting had not been properly followed in the Wisconsin Supreme Court litigation. The U.S. Supreme Court sent the case back to the Wisconsin court for another round of proceedings, not inconsistent with its opinion. Quote, on remand, the court is free to take additional evidence if it prefers to reconsider the governor's maps rather than choose from among the other submissions. Any new analysis, however, must comply with our equal protection jurisprudence. The U.S. Supreme Court's latest move in the Wisconsin cases comes after a mixed bag of rulings for Republicans. Alabama's GOP leaders secured an order last month from the five most conservative justices, halting the lower court's ruling requiring that its congressional map be redrawn. The Supreme Court will hear that case in which Republicans are accused of diluting black votes in violation of the Voting Rights Act. In the coming months, they'll hear it, with legal experts expecting the conservative court to further scale back the scope of the Voting Rights Act, as if they haven't gutted it enough. But Democrats did score two key victories in Pennsylvania and North Carolina cases that were appealed to the Supreme Court earlier this year. And in those two cases, the SCOTUS rejected GOP requests for an intervention and left undisturbed Democratic preferred maps that had been adopted by the state Supreme Courts in those states. And a Texas appeals court reinstated a temporary injunction Monday ensuring families seeking gender-affirming care for their trans children cannot be investigated by state authorities. The ruling comes after a district judge in Travis County ordered the state of Texas to temporarily stop investigating families earlier this month. But of course, Ken Paxton appealed the injunction and declared investigations could continue during the appeal process. Lambda Legal and the ACLU filed a request last week with the appellate court arguing emergency relief and reinstatement of the temporary injunction and that they were needed to prevent imminent and irreparable harm. The state's third court of appeals ruled in favor of the civil rights groups Monday, writing in an opinion that, quote, to follow the governor's directive pending the outcome of this litigation will result in irreparable harm. And a temporary injunction is necessary to, quote, preserve the rights of all parties while the appeals process plays out. That legal battle began shortly after Paxton in late February declared gender-affirming surgical procedures in children and prescribing drugs that affect puberty should be considered child abuse. In response to Paxton's legal opinion, government Greg Abbott directed the Department of Family Protection Services, DFPS, to conduct prompt and thorough investigations of any reported instances of these abusive procedures in the state of Texas, unquote. Within two weeks of the directive, the state had opened at least nine investigations of families. When asked by CNN Monday night whether DFPS would halt investigations following the latest appeals court ruling, DFPS spokesman Patrick Crimmins said in an email, we will follow the law. In Russia news, 
Anatoly Chubayas, a Russian government insider for decades, is leaving his job as Putin's special representative on the environment. That's according to Russian state news agency TASS on Wednesday. And of course, they're citing an unnamed source. Chubayas has the highest profile Russian official to quit since the war began. Reuters reported that Chubayas had left Russia and did not plan to return, also citing an unnamed source. CNN is seeking comment from Chubayas himself, and it's not independently confirmed that he has left Russia or the reason for his resignation. And in a related story, the U.S. government is officially declaring Russian military forces led by Putin have committed war crimes in Ukraine by hitting civilian targets. That's Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The attacks on Ukraine have been ongoing for nearly a month and have resulted in nearly 5,000 civilian casualties. Russian troops have targeted areas where civilians are present, including apartment buildings, schools, and hospitals. Quote, last week I echoed President Biden's statement based on the countless accounts and images of destruction and suffering we've all seen that war crimes had been committed by Putin's forces in Ukraine. Blinken went on to, stay, to say, today I can announce that based on information currently available, the U.S. government assesses that members of Russia's forces have committed war crimes in Ukraine. And our final story today, Madeleine Albright, the first woman U.S. Secretary of State who helped steer Western foreign policy in the aftermath of the Cold War, has died of cancer at 84. Albright's family announced her death in a statement on Wednesday. She was a central figure in Bill Clinton's administration, first serving as U.S. ambassador to the U.N. before becoming the nation's top diplomat in her second term. She championed the expansion of NATO, pushed for the alliance to intervene in the Balkans to stop genocide and ethnic cleansing, sought to reduce the spread of nuclear weapons, and championed human rights and democracy across the globe. The New York Times op-ed written last month, just before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, uh, she wrote this. Albright argued that Russian leader Vladimir Putin would be making an historic error in invading Ukraine and warned of devastating costs to his country. Quote, instead of paving Russia's path to greatness, invading Ukraine would ensure Mr. Putin's infamy by leaving his country diplomatically isolated, economically crippled, and strategically vulnerable in the face of a stronger, more united Western alliance, she wrote. She was a face of U.S. foreign policy in the decade between the end of the Cold War and the War on Terror triggered by the September 11th attacks an era heralded by President George H.W. Bush as a new world order. The U.S., particularly in Iraq and the Balkans, built international coalitions and occasionally intervened militarily to roll back autocratic regimes, an Albright self-identified pragmatic idealist who coined the term assertive multilateralism to describe the Clinton administration's foreign policy. She drew from her experience growing up in a family that fled the Nazis and communists in mid-20th century Europe to shape her worldview. All right, uh, we'll be right back with the founder and executive director of Voters of Tomorrow, Santiago Meyer, and we're going to discuss strategies for turning out the youth vote this November. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. Today's episode is brought to you by Allform. Allform is the best place to purchase beautiful, premium-quality furniture that can be customized to meet your style and preferences, and they deliver it right to your door for free. With Allform, you can design your own luxury furniture using the highest-quality materials, but at a fraction of the cost and the time it would take at a traditional store. I chose a three-seater sofa in whiskey-colored leather, walnut leg finish, and a chaise lounge. It is stylish, it's comfortable, it looks fantastic, I love it. And all form ships fast. In just five to seven days, it comes in the mail, and you can assemble it with no tools. From armchairs and love seats up to eight-seat sectionals, you can start small and add more if you want. And best of all, you get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund, so there's no risk. And they also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for listeners at allform.com slash dailybeans. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am happy today to be joined by no longer teenager, now in his 20s, the ripe old age of 20, uh, the uh, executive director, founder of Voters of Tomorrow, Santiago Meyer. Hi, Santiago. How are you? Hi, really good. Thank you for having me. I'm my three months into my 20s. So <laughs> Good. And I missed your birthday. When is your birthday again? December 30th. So about three months ago, almost. Nice. Yeah. I, and I just also turned 20 in January. So, you know, I'm right there with you. 20. You look like 19, though. You look 18, maybe 17 even. Thank you. You are my new best friend. Um, so tell us a little bit. First of all, this you've been on the beans before and we've talked about voters of tomorrow and getting out the youth vote. But there's been some stuff that's gone down recently. And, and I've been wanting to talk to you ever since 
Ron DeSantis had a press conference at a school and walked up to kids behind the podium and said, you know, at first it seemed like he was being like jovial and nice, like, hey, guys, take your masks off. But then he turned into a royal dick and was like, got up to the podium, was like, God, you know, take off your mask. And 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 I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he talks to I mean, these aren't first of all, you don't even talk to any kid that way. But these these are, you know, almost voters. Like, why would you treat them that way? Uh, and, and that got me thinking, what is voters of tomorrow? How are you gearing up for 2022? Are you focusing on certain races that might be flippable? Or are you going like 50 state? Or are you going national? Like what what does the mission for the midterms and voters of tomorrow look like? Yeah, I mean, the answer is all of them. We we have a 50-state strategy. We are developing chapters and organizing resources in every state and in every district because we want to turn out every eligible young voter regardless of where they live. But we also understand political realities, and we know that some races are more competitive than others. So we are going through the data, and we are figuring out which districts will likely be decided by the youth vote. Right now, we have identified 18 districts where the number of young voters, voters under 29, is actually larger than the margin by which the incumbent won, which just tells us that those races are very likely going to be determined by the amount of young voters that turn out. So those are the races that we're putting specific interest in. And there's obviously several statewide elected officials right now that have literally just declared war on young voters. And Voters of Tomorrow's mission is representing as well as engaging. So we are dedicated to voting those people out. And Ron DeSantis, you, you just said it, he he embraces the what I call the politics of assholery, which is mm-hmm. just being the biggest asshole in the game. And he has decided that his focus is on Gen Z on young LGBTQ plus students, on young people that trust and listen to science and wear masks, and we are not going to stand by. So we are organizing and we are going to do everything we can to make sure that he does not win in November. Now, we have a lot of listeners who are concerned about where their money goes when they donate to campaigns um, and, and, you know, and activists for the midterms, because like you said, there are some races that are going to be plus 20, plus 30 Republican that are just they're not as competitive as some of these other races. And they're wondering, like, more bang for my buck. Where can I do the most, quote unquote, damage to Republicans, <laughs> so to speak, or where, you know, to put it in a more positive light, where can I be the best help? And do you would you mentioned these 18 races um, and districts? If uh, folks give money to voters of tomorrow, do you distribute that money in a way where it has a highest impact in perhaps those 18 particular races or toward the Ron DeSantis race? Because, you know, I'll I'll tell you, I think that the Ron DeSantis, um, you know, ousting him is going to get a lot of national dollars and maybe money is, is well spent in other places. How are you focusing the resources that people donate to voters of tomorrow to make sure that their dollar has the most impact. Yeah, so you know you know me, I am a numbers person. I am mm-hmm. a person who loves to sit down and track data. So all of our investments are data-driven and we try to put money where it's gonna make the most impact, which means that obviously our first priority is turning out young voters where their votes will make the most difference. And that is very likely going to be those 18 races. That number might grow as for districting concludes in other states and we get more data from those districts, it might end up being 20, 25 races. But those are the districts where most of our attention is going to. That does not mean, though, that we are not investing or not paying attention to all other races and all other states. Because there are a lot of races where even though those young voters might not make as much of an impact, they will still be very important deciding who wins. Those are places like Pennsylvania like Wisconsin, like Florida, maybe even places like Utah, where Mike Lee is up for election. Generally, it would not be considered a competitive competitive state, but even McMullen is a very competitive candidate, and he might have a chance of taking him out. So we are looking at all these numbers. We're looking at polling. We're doing our own research, and we're just looking in analytics to figure out where that money makes the most impact. We We also 
just to kind of add there, not all of our money goes directly to registering voters. And I know that might surprise some people, but turning out young voters is not just a matter of registering. We can keep registering voters and they may stay home. A lot of our effort is also in engaging them. And that is where organizing comes in. That is where reaching out to people comes in. So we have been for the past few months, for example, distributing free copies of all the books that Republicans in Texas are banning. Because that is something that even though it might not be considered some sort of political activism or get out the vote operation, all the people that we're talking to, not only are we registering them to vote, we're also engaging them, making sure they're paying attention and informing them on why their vote matters, because these books are only being banned because bad people are in office and we have the chance to vote them out. Yeah. And and the more people you engage, then they bring other voters into the fold as well. And they do a lot of the work for you. And they're absolutely amazing in doing that kind of engagement um, once you get them engaged. I've, I've noticed it's it's like an you get exponential um, bang for your work. Uh, and, you know, the, you mentioned Utah. The governor of Utah is uh, vetoing a, a, an anti-trans bill, which I think is I was uh, shocked and very uh, pleasantly surprised. So there there are some sort of sometimes races that m- may seem, <laughs> you know, like they're unwinnable. But, you know, Mike Lee is out here tweeting about how democracy sucks. And, you know, it's like it's got it can't be tough to get him out. Um, I want to go back to some other uh, issues, because I know you talk about science, climate, and then what you're I'm I'm curious as to what you're doing for um, pro-choice matters, because for for me and for a lot of people I know, you know, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm 20 now. No, I'm almost 50. So I'm, I kind of have this. We can write it to 25. <laughs> I get this kind of women's healthcare privilege. I am not in a position where I may or may not need to have abortion care uh, as much as I was, as much as I did when I was 18, 19, 20, 21. Those are like the critical years for that sort of bodily autonomy uh, in my, in, at least in my personal experience. And so I'm wondering uh, if you know what what are the uh, are these the main issues that you're you're looking at going into the midterms because I know we're going to start hearing arguments to overturn Roe v Wade uh, and I think that I think young people have their finger on the pulse a little bit more uh, of the courts we we as Democrats we've sort of ignored that whole thing and it was like 2016 you know whatever I'll just stay home 130 million of us. And now we have the 6-3 court that we're faced with. And, and of course, we have the amazing Ketanji Brown-Jackson, who is sitting in confirmation hearings, but she's not going to change the balance of the court. She may change how it looks and, and, and some and, you know, being a, a having spent time as a defense attorney, she'll have a different perspective. She can push that perspective a little bit to more reasonable area. Uh, than say, you know, our, our good friends, you know, Justice Thomas or whatever. Uh, and I say that tongue in cheek, but what are some of the, the main issues that that you use that you bring up to engage young voters? Because, I, you know, climate makes sense. Um, but talk a little bit about the science and talk a little bit about bodily autonomy. Yeah, I mean, it is really straightforward argument. The government should not dictate what you do with your own body. And that is something that most young people, people of all ages, really regardless of gender or regardless of gender identity can agree with. And we know that eight out of 10 Americans support Roe v. Wade. That is a very similar percentage as to what fraction of Gen Z supports it. Because that is common sense, because you don't want the government in your pants, because having the government dictate your reproductive, what you do with your reproductive organs is weird. Mm -hmm. It's just weird. And most people don't like weird stuff like that. So young people are going to keep fighting for Roe v. Wade to protect Roe v. Wade. And if it is overturned, which I know most of us expect it will be, to make sure that our government passes laws and codifies protections to abortion rights. It is quite simple. It is not that complicated people to choose what they do with their own bodies. And that is particularly relevant to young people. I mean, you just mentioned it. Young women are the most affected by abortion bans. We have seen in several states, I think Idaho right now is trying to not only outlaw abortion, but also outlaw leaving the state to get an abortion, which is 
objectively just illegal in my view i'm not a lawyer but i i i'm quite confident you can't really restrict movement constitutionally you can't stop people from interstate travel yeah. i mean that's a, that's a constant then and that is actually in the constitution whereas some people argue well abortions the words not in the constitution yeah but interstate travel definitely is so oh, let's, you know yeah i mean marcia Marsh blackburn was yelling about abortion in the continue burns jackson confirmations confirmation hearings yesterday and talking about how it isn't in the constitution i really think she's going to be surprised when she finds out what the constitution has to say about ar-15s but yeah i mean it, it is just an obsession again with these politics of being the largest asshole and it is something that republicans for one reason or another have embraced as their only path towards victory which is wrong in a function democracy you would be trying to make people's betters better not make them worse but they really believe that doubling down on being bad people is going to help them electorally that that's that's a reasoning behind the book bans that's the reasoning behind all the anti-gay legislation across several states and that's also the logic behind their obsession with overturning roe v wade the only thing though is there i've seen a lot of comparisons about this the roe v wade being a stick on a, a carrot and a stick my English as a second language is taking its toll on me today. <laughs> but they have been pushing their base and so long that they have to vote in order to overturn Roe v. Wade that one wonders after they finally do it, is their voter base going to react the way they hope so? Because I can tell I can tell you what, young pro-choice voters will react and they will come out and vote. So they they're playing, they're playing a very dangerous game here. Yep, they're handing their one issue, their single voter issue, over to the Democrats. Um, it's like a be careful what you wish for type of a, a situation. But meanwhile, uh, young women and people who can get pregnant are suffering. They're having their constitutional rights stripped in Texas right now. Um, we're seeing it with all of these shadow docket rulings that allow SB8 to continue to be in effect. And it's it's absolutely um, disgusting and un-American. Um, finally, let's go back to Florida for a minute because... Uh, before you know, before I hit the record button, you and I were talking a little bit about some of your efforts um, in Florida uh, to to change what's going on uh, down there. And and uh, you know, we talked about the kids in the classroom in DeSantis. We uh, I, I want to talk about the Don't Say Gay bill and these incredible walkouts that are being staged by students. I've seen videos. It's absolutely like restores my faith in humanity, and it reminds me of when Obama said the week after. Uh, Donald Trump won, uh, quote unquote, but I'll put one in quotes, uh, the presidency in 2016. He went on uh, a podcast, I think it was Pod Save America, and said, look, th there are young people right now, 12, 13, 14, um, or 8, 9, 10, who, who are going to be turning 18 and be able to vote. And they are going to wash over this country like a, like a wave of hope. And I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of us olds are really depending on on the youth voter turnout. And so I, I was wondering, could tell tell me a little bit about what you were telling me before about your organizing in Florida and what that looks like, because that is a key state. Yeah, I mean, I, I told you this before we started recording, but Ron DeSantis has no fucking clue what's coming for him. He is, he is creating a youth revolution in his state. And if he thinks that by banning lessons about gender identity and sexual orientation that suddenly people are going to stop being gay he's dead wrong that's not how it works i think we all know that if he thinks that by banning books people are not going to learn about how race has been embedded into the systems in this country he is also wrong because there are a lot of organizations including voters of tomorrow that will make sure that kids receive that information and if he thinks that doing all of this is going to help him get reelected, he's that wrong. Because the only thing he's really doing is making sure that every single eligible voter knows that Ron DeSantis opposes the youth, that Ron DeSantis opposes everything that Gen Z stands for, and that if we want to advance val our values in Florida, we're going to have to vote Ron DeSantis out, which is something that we are, have been working for we have engaged with a lot of the people who organized those walkouts and have been honored to partner and help organize a few of these protests. And all the energy behind these walkouts is the energy is going to be multiplied when we head to the polls. So 
if Ron DeSantis is for any le- any reason listening to this, just know that voters of tomorrow and Gen Z is coming for you and that your seat is not safe. Well, I look forward to seeing how that plays out. And uh, we've got your back. And uh, speaking of having your back, can you tell people where they can find and fund and donate and support to voters of tomorrow? Because I think I, I love the way that you, you know, I know you're a data driven dude. And that you're going to make sure that every single penny that comes into that organization uh, goes towards something viable and and important and and movable. Yeah, people can find more information about Voters of Tomorrow or donate at votersoftomorrow.org. Our social media is at Voters Tomorrow in any platform. And if you're able to support, please do so. Turning out young voters is going to be essential in November, and we're determined and committed to doing so. Well, thank you so much for your hard work. I appreciate it. And and what's going on with your citizenship? Are you going to be able to vote? Not this year, probably not next election either, but maybe maybe for the one after that, maybe 26. Yeah. Well, how amazing that you're doing this work and you can't even vote. I, I appreciate you so much, man. I, I really do. And again, happy belated birthday. And thank you for your work. Um, I think it's going to make a huge impact in 2022 and beyond. Thank you very much, Santiago Meyer. Thank you so much for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be back with the good news. Hey, everyone. It's AG for the Beans. And the show today is presented by Hunter Douglas, creators of innovative window shade designs with beautiful fabrics and automatic control systems that can automatically adjust to their optimal position throughout the day. Thanks to Hunter Douglas's PowerView technology, you can program your shades to automatically adjust for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation, regardless of what time it is. In addition to providing an even pleasant glow across your room, Hunter Douglas shades protect your privacy and help you save money by keeping you warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer, which is also good for the planet. This will improve the functionality, style, and comfort of your home. I love how PowerView automatically adjusts your shades for the perfect balance of light, privacy, and insulation morning, noon, and night. So go to HunterDouglas.com dailybeans today to get your free style get smarter design guide with fresh takes, creative ideas, and smart solutions for dressing your windows. That's HunterDouglas.com slash Daily Beans for your free design guide. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we're blown on good news. It's on the way. And boy, do we need it today. Thank you so much for sending in your submissions. If you have anything you want to send us, whether it's a good news, confessions, corrections, pictures of your happy place. I love photos of Halloween, uh, Easter bunny photos. We got some really funny ones yesterday. Um, if you're making something or creating something, you have a small business, let us know about it. We'll give you a shout out. You can send everything in to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Now, first up from Mary, pronouns she and her. Good news. I started donating plasma. A company called BioLife Plasma Services opened a new donation center in my city in October last year. I decided to start donating plasma because I wanted to feel like I was helping people and getting paid a small fee for my time and plasma helps too. It also helps that there's a Dunkin' Donuts right next door. Ah, Mary, I see. I see now. There's a Dunkin' Donuts right next door to the Plasma Donation Center. So once I finish donating plasma, I'll go get myself a nice coffee and a treat. Oh, a nice coffee as a treat. No donuts. You should get a donut. I've been donating plasma since January 2022. I plan to continue doing so for the foreseeable future. Mary, thank you. Your donations are saving lives. Next up from John, pronouns he and him. I sent you guys a good news about a year ago about my parents getting vaccinated. A lot has changed since then. My father got sick and we discovered my mother has Alzheimer's and dementia. After about four weeks in the hospital and rehab, my dad is doing better and my mother is managing, but we realized they need more help. So we had to move them into an assisted living community. I also had to sift through 60 years worth of junk to find the stuff we wanted to keep and sell there. And we had to sell their house, which we're hoping would be a nice chunk of money. However, with a reverse mortgage, and the house needing a lot of work, we basically got nothing. After dealing with all that, our cat Misty, a previous pod pet tax submission, unexpectedly had some kind of internal organ failure and died suddenly on us. The good news is here, I swear. My parents have finally settled into their new community, and they love it. Plus, they've made loads of new friends. My wife and I had to take in my parents' oldest cat because they couldn't really care for her at the community, and the community has a two-pet limit. So we got a new kitty who, while old, loves to play, get cuddles and treats. And while my wife should be finishing her degree to become a doctor of audiology, oh, audiologists are the best, my work keeps paying me more and more money, which at least takes the worry out of the stressors. Oh, good. I found my whoopee while going through my parents' house. 
which was a small green blanket that I called my night-night, and I carried it around with me until I was about nine years old. I was shocked my mother still had it when I found it in her closet. It had a silk lining around the edges, which has all been worn off over years of use and from rubbing on it. I also have a misheard song lyric. My brother and I were listening to the radio one day, and a Johnny Rivers song came on, and after listening for a while, I asked my brother, why is this guy singing about the secret Asian man? Ah, yes, my brother, who would tease me a lot, decided this was a great time to keep that to himself, so I would inevitably embarrass myself, which happened years later in high school, and my friends laughed at me for days, thinking they were secret Asian men around. I'm lucky I didn't get a nickname out of it. And when I confronted my brother on this, his response was, I just thought it would be funny. Clearly, I was right. <laughs> I will leave you with my pod pet tax, the new 18-year-old kitty. And guess the mutt, as she is uh, a purebreed. Her name is Hufflepuff. Excellent. Oh, and this kitty is, this is a handsome kitty. Blue eyes, looks like a Burmese, some type of Siamese with longer fur. So pretty. Thank you for that. And I don't see a dog photo, or I would guess your mutt picture. We might have a, a production issue with that. All right, next up from Danielle, pronouns she and her. Hi, Beans Queens. I promise I'll get to the good news, but first I must admit this has been a rough week. I'm a psychologist in a pediatric gender clinic that serves the medical and mental health needs of transgender and gender diverse youth and their families. For Thank you for your service, Danielle. In addition to the nonsense happening across the country, our own clinic was recently targeted by right-wing hate groups who published false and damaging information about us leading us to increasing harassment. Meanwhile, it feels like a constant struggle to educate the public and get our own opinion pieces out there, only to get turned down by one credible news source after another. Any ideas? Okay, here's the good news. These struggles only highlight how fucking amazing my colleagues are. I am continuously inspired by their integrity. She says effing, by the way. I, I, I went full fucking on that one. Um, I'm continuously inspired by their integrity, courage, and perseverance. I'm sure you can relate to the importance of working with people you respect, who make you laugh sometimes until you cry, and who keep showing up to the challenge each and every day. And then there's our patients, the hundred of gender hundreds of gender-diverse youth and families who are so amazing and who demonstrate a level of resilience that truly blows me away. My final piece of good news is that after many years of my partner, Brian, trying to convince me to listen to your shows, I finally started listening late last year. And of course, I was instantly hooked, as he knew I would be. You bring me so much joy and hope every morning. And I'm so thankful for all that you do. Oh, thank you. For pod craft tax, I submit one of my favorite pandemic crafts. I briefly got into wreath making. And this is my pride wreath, which I'm uh, very, wait for it, proud of. <laughs> And for Pod Pet Tax, I submit the majestic Khaleesi, Queen of Cats and Mother of Dragons. Thank you for all that you do. This wreath is amazing. Oh, I'm going to have to text this to Dana. I miss her already. Oh, and look at the little Maine Coon kitty. So cute. Oh, I see the DSM-5. <laughs> and learning act. And I, <laughs> I only had a bachelor's um, in behavioral science, but I see some of those books. Memories, memories popping up. Uh, all right, next from Laura, pronouns she and her, SoCal person here. I have a what the mutt for you. As of last summer, I was still saying no more dogs after the death of my very old beloved pain in the butt asshole dog years ago. My wife's and my four cats concurred. But after 10 years of seeing daily posts from a friend that she, that does rescue and being tempted, um, not at all. <laughs> my friend finally posted about this puppy. She's cute. She's super smart. She plays well. Fuck, look at those ears. She comes from uh, three litters of puppies rescued by an Illinois organization. Hey, Graffelman Farms Rescue. <laughs> Shout out to Graffelman Farms Rescue. Uh, a farm from a farm, in, from a farm in Arkansas. Oh, see the photo. The puppies were eating from a deer carcass oh, in the woods, and many of them have buckshot embedded in their skin or muscles, including my puppers. Oh. The Illinois Rescue Organization named these puppies after the rivers in Illinois. So mine is named Apple River, or we call her Apple. I jokingly tell people we named her after Gwyneth Paltrow's first child. We finally did the DNA on Apple, and she has 0% of the breed that the rescue organization thought she would. So place your bets. Much love to your whole team that makes this podcast network possible. And to Allison, I don't know how you have the energy to do what you do. I work and volunteer, and I'm tired as fuck, but you do it with the energy many only dream of, using, as Deadpool would call, maximum effort, <laughs> you ducking rock. <laughs> nope, I'm not even going to correct that autocorrect error. Okay, let's see. Oh, look at this puppy. All right. I'm going to guess what this dog is. Oh, this is just 
this is like Aristotle's perfect form of a dog. I can't even begin to tell. Maybe, let's see, is there another photo? No. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Golden, lab, pibble, and the ears are so adorable. But what would make those ears? Maybe a German Shepherd or a Chow? All right, let's see what we got. Do, 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 do. Boxer, Pitbull, Bull Terrier, and Staffordshire Terrier. And German Shepherd, Australian, Catterdog, Australian Cattle Dog, and White Swiss Shepherd. Golden Retriever and Lab. All right, so I got Golden Lab. I got German Shepherd and Chow. <laughs> there is Chow in there. All right, cool. So I only missed the Australian Cattle Dog and uh, the Boxer, which is, looks like most of what she is is Boxer. That explains the ears. Very adorable. Thank you for that. All right. Next up. Um, from Craig. Pronouns he and him. I'm a visual artist living in D.C. I make paper cuts that look like photographs. Huh. You know the snowflakes you make in first grade? Well, they're nothing like that. I grew up in Miami where I attended Miami Palmetto Senior High, alma mater of Jeff Bezos and Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. I was on the debate team in the 80s, awesome, where we were one of the three best debate schools in the country. One of my teammates became a law professor at Stanford and uh, was first cited in a Supreme Court dissenting opinion while he was still in law school. Nice. Another standout who was national champion in her event, as well as senior class president, became a federal judge. The Senate voted 100 to nothing to confirm her to Article three, an Article Three position. She moved to a new fancy chambers in the federal district courthouse for the District of Columbia in 2019 and asked me to come see the space and design a unique paper cut. The Constitution says this would likely be her office for the rest of her life. She and I spent several months going back and forth, tweaking designs until we agreed on the perfect pattern. Within a day of finalizing the design, but prior to putting scalpel to paper, she asked me to put it on hold. She was probably moving to a new space in the circuit court because Joe Biden was nominating her to replace Merrick Garland as an appellate judge. I came to my friend, Ketanji Brown Jackson's new chambers in the midst of the pandemic lockdown, and she pointed to the spot she had des designated for my artwork. I said that I would make it, but she had better not balk again, even if fortune led her to a different court entirely now it seems i will have my work hanging in the u.s supreme court i've been asked several times by my friends and reporters if i ever thought kbj would be nominated to the supreme court my answer is probably the same as everyone who knows her it's tremendously good news and not the least bit surprising eight years ago when my son ezra was in fourth grade learning about the separation of powers he told his teacher he was friends with one of the supreme court justices when the teacher asked which, he said Katanji Brown-Jackson. The teacher said, there's no justice, Katanji. Ezra was pretty confused and disappointed and asked me whether his teacher was mistaken. I told him that he's not wrong. He's just early. He's, here's, he's one fact I haven't heard. Oh, here's one fact I haven't heard anyone report about Judge KBJ. She never applied for Supreme Court clerkship. She had clerked for two federal judges and was working in a private practice with Justice Breyer when Justice Breyer took his seat on the court. He chose three clerks, as he had in his prior position, and then realized that all other justices had four. Rather than go back to any applicant he'd already rejected, he called, the former, he called a former Harvard Law School colleague and described his predicament. He asked for a short list of qualified lawyers who would come to a clerk for him if chosen. He interviewed three such people and found Ketanji Brown-Jackson was the most qualified. She may be the only person who ever clerked for the Supreme Court without applying for a clerkship. They came to her. Last bit, in 2002, my wife and I got two Pomeranian puppies, Lola Blue and Oliver Otis Sarsaparilla. Oliver was best known to his friends and fans as Liver the Dog. He wrapped up his time on Earth this past December. He was 19 years, 19 months old. My goodness. My three kids were all born after 2002, and though it wasn't a surprise that he passed on, it hit us pretty hard. Amazingly, he's survived by Lola, who turns 20 on March 1st, who turned 20 on March 1st. My God. My youngest, Neve, told me that she still cries when she thinks about liver, and she's just so glad that Lola is still with us. Do you want to tell her? Thank you for all your good work. Attached are pictures of my paper cut art, my last visit with Judge Jackson, my old, my old dogs, and some street art has been attributed to me. Oh my God, look at these. This is amazing. And look at these Pomeranians. Oh. 
And some street art attributed to you. Wonderful. Amazing. This is truly amazing. Thank you so much for the submission. That's incredible, Craig. She's like, that. Ah, I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. Nope, I'm going to the D.C. appellate court. Nope, I'm going to the Supreme Court. Well, that's an incredible story, and this is incredible art. I want one now. All right, finally, from Pete in Plainsboro, New Jersey, pronouns he, him. Hi, ladies. As a high school acquaintance of Boris Epstein, I've taken great schadenfreude. Um, that 65 projects filing a discipline complaint against him with the New York bar. Yes, me too. The Epsteins were one of several refusenik families to settle in our town in the early 90s, but is the only one who went full bore right wing nut job crazy. In high school, Boris was somewhat awkward, bullheaded, semi assholeish, I'm always right personality, who thought he was a lot smarter than he actually is. So, in a lot of ways, I'm not necessarily surprised at what became of him. He probably was the brunt of a lot of jokes that he didn't deserve. Perhaps some of that high school bullshit put a chip on his shoulder. I'm equally disappointed in our mutual friends and neighbors, and there are several of them who don't repudiate his detestable conduct while working for the Trump administration and Trump campaign, and they still remain friendly with him. I'm trying to be a better person than my parents raised me to be, but to see an asshole get his just dessert for acting like an asshole and trying to subvert democracy, putting kids in cages, defrauding the United States, and so on, gives me some serious schadenfreude. Hopefully, he'll lose his law license permanently, and if there's sufficient evidence, I hope he finds his way into the custody of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Count this as my confession. Thank you, Pete, and thank you, everyone, for these incredible submissions. It's been an extraordinary news day. And the good news is no exception. If you have anything you want to send in to us, you can do so by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And I'll be back tomorrow uh, for our Friday podcast. And until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, take care of your mental health. Evo Blue over Q. I've been AG, and them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane, with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com.